0: This podcast is recorded in front of an unwitting audience. This is True Crime Cat. No, no, this is Jack Luna of Dark Topic and not the operator. Uh, look, I know it's you. I'm, I'm getting all your calls. True crime, true crime Kent! Do You got a minute or, or maybe two hours or, you know, whatever.
1: Why's that? You want, you want to knock an episode out? Well, if you're not busy or I could call back later if you are.
0: And if you don't answer, I'll just keep calling back again.
1: Yeah, I know. I know. I've had 19 missed calls. When I woke up this morning, uh, there was team What? That's
0: weird. Didn't feel like I had called more than at least, you know, maybe 12 times at most. And- uh,
1: seven of those calls, you were pretending to be Jack in order to get me to call you back.
0: <laughs> well, the podcast is going real well. Have you uh, Have you seen the the numbers?
1: I don't know if you're you don't show me and Jack that stuff.
0: <laughs> uh, uh, so, uh, what did you have in mind for this episode? Yeah, just.
1: Glance over that real quick, right off. A real wild card of an episode. This story has it all. Satanism, murder, gay lovers, rednecks, probably penny facts. Get ready. Things are about to get weird. Let's go. Recording has
2: initiated. All
1: right, op. So today we're going to be talking about something that hasn't been covered a lot, to my knowledge. Uh, a few podcasts have done it. You already uh, are probably guessing. Corpsewood Manor is what we're going to be talking about. I would say the the gay shenanigans and the redneck uh, reference and the Satanism probably tipped it off to you, but Corpsewood Manor is what we're going to be talking about. But what I wanted to do first before we get into our regular schedule here is front load the episode with all of the pandering that is almost a requirement in this day and age Okay, uh, and, and is what a lot of these other... Podcasts and everything it seems gets off on. So sounds good. Let's pander. Let's do some right. pandering here. First, we're going to pander to the gay community because there's oh. there's going to be a lot of jokes oh. uh, made at the expense of gay people here. Oh. So really? you can blow and and butt sex up anybody you want. Oh, and really? just oh wow, get, get how. Get get semen on your face and rub it as a skin no no skin treatment maybe not all that stuff whatever you want to do Oof. um if you're females you want to scissor I and, don't even know how that like just what slam your vaginas into each other I don't whatever they do what's happening that's beautiful all that stuff is beautiful that's what you want to do I say go for it yeah it's none of my business mine neither ah uh, so there's the pandering oh man gonna... the gay people we got that now where's Did we need to do this? what else did I talk about Satanism yeah yeah. Satan. Okay. Uh if you want to worship Satan or if you want to worship whatever you want to oh, yeah. worship. Whatever. You worship that. Yes. You you worship the hell out of it. Uh, or the
0: heaven out of it, right? <laughs> or the
1: heaven out of it. Uh if you want to not worship anything, which is actually what Satanism is, it's just atheism. Satanism is just a fancy word for atheist that lacks attention. That, that's, that's all it is. A good way, uh, like,
0: it's atheism in a sexy Halloween costume. It's like a regular atheist that's who it. went and got to the Halloween store and got the sexy devil that's it. costume. Because they're like, haha. Yeah, Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Satanism, is, Satanism is just atheism with black lipstick. That, that, that's all, that's all yeah. it is. Yeah, goth atheism. Yeah, we're going to get deep into Satanism in a minute, but... Yum! You worship whoever you want. You want to worship, I mean, Islam, Buddhism, Christianity, not, nothing, atheism, Satanism. You go for that. That's awesome. So now we got that out of the way. I think that's all the pandering that we have to do on this episode, that all the other podcasts try to make it seem as if they are genuinely upset about one. Mm. They get to talking about this stuff. So okay, we got that out of the way. That's very important. I'm glad we did that, and we are better people, and this is a better podcast because we did.
0: Yeah, I don't really understand why why you know people get all up in other people's business when it comes to you know who they worship or how happy they want to be.
1: Yeah, and I'm I'm just glad we got that out of the way. Check box. You know, So now we can have fun. Now we can have fun. Up until. Well, it eventually ends up not being a good time, but it's a good time for a little bit. So, uh, with that out of the way, what's the gayest thing you've ever done? Ooh, gayest
0: thing I've ever done. Just one? Is all just one?
1: As many as is there a lot? Well, uh, is your brain firing with a bunch of experiences right now? That I probably have a top ten. What's your number one? Okay, number one, gayest thing
0: I've ever done. I, one time, had the opportunity, I was uh 13 or 14, and I had the opportunity to go to Disneyland and got a special hotel room there in the Disney part of the hotel room. So, it was like themed Disney hotel room, right? Okay. Just painting picture for you here. Okay. Okay. Thank you. And then... After that, Disneyland opened at, like, I can't remember. N- let's just say 9. Hydroponically speaking, 9 o'clock, okay? Oh, Okay. All right. So I got to go to Disneyland at 7. And I got to go into Disneyland, and I got to eat breakfast at Disneyland before it opened. And then when the gates opened... I got to see all of the happy faces running into Disneyland, crushing children as they came in. You're like, ah. Oh, we have a misunderstanding.
1: I think we have a misunderstanding here. Uh, I'm just going to it was it was great. Let me tell you the gayest thing that I've ever been a part of. Okay, it was great. Yeah, I hear you. You were very happy, huh? Oh, my goodness. I
0: can't even tell you. It's just tears.
1: You were so gay. Yes. There's a misunderstanding that we have right now, but I'm going to tell you the gayest thing that I've ever been a part of, and then I think it'll clear it up for you what I was talking mm. about. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Shoot it at me, brother. Uh, in, in, uh, early 2012, I- I've been married once before, and my ex wife, who was my wife at the time, was, uh, we were married, and she had a couple of lesbian friends, right? Oh,
0: yeah. Have you ever been to Lebanon? Oh, beautiful country! No,
1: not not Lebanese, not Lebanese friends, lesbian friends. Lebanon, oh, okay. So, Les lesbian. All right, never been there. Yeah, not Lebanese friends. Okay, uh, but me and my uh, now ex wife, then wife at the time, enjoyed going to bars and drinking. We had a very fraternity girlfriend and boyfriend relationship, but hmm. because we were married. Neither one of us were trying to hook up with anybody. So and her friends were lesbian. So we would just go to them to this bar in Wilmington, North Carolina. We were living in North Carolina at the time, called Abizas. And it's probably still there. I don't know, but it was a gay bar. It was a gay bar and it was
0: like a happy place. And
1: we would go there and sometimes I would take a friend with me. This is this is while I was in the Marine Corps, so I would take a I would take one of my friends with me. We would tell the the uh, bouncer out front that was checking IDs that we were a couple. Oh, and then they would give us a discount at the door to get in because you got
0: military some. discount cuz you brought your buddy, military discount. No,
1: because we were a couple. If you were a gay couple, you got you got a discount. You got like a couples discount or something. So me and my buddy, we'd be like, "Yeah, this guy right here, I butt sex him up all the time." And they'd be like, "Cool, you guys get a discount." I'd be like, "Cool." Oh. And then we would get in. Oh. But that's not the gay part. I mean, that's probably a little gay, but that's not that's. So we would go to this bar all the time. It was a lot of fun, actually. I got to see a lot of drag shows. Uh, I got to I got to drink with. I made friends with trannies, and I know that's not a probably a, a politically correct word, but I'm really not concerned about it because the trannies that I met didn't seem to really give much of a fuck, and they were ate a lot of fun to drink with.
0: I think that's still the term drag show tranny. Yeah, no. it's it they call it tranny.
1: We're still so the tranny connects
0: to the differential.
1: There's still a, a little miscommunication here, but it's okay. It's going to clear up for you here in a minute. So, uh I would I would watch the the tran the trans shows and just get drunk and have the best time with all these gay people. It was a blast. Mm, fun. And sometimes a dude would buy me a drink cuz I was toned at the time, you know, and it was just a lot of fun. That
0: sounds fun. Sounds very happy.
1: Yeah, it's it was very happy, but I learned early on that the bathroom is a uh, is no man's land when you're a straight guy at a gay club. It's because it's,
0: it's women's bathroom, or
1: no, it's still a man's bathroom. But you don't know what you're gonna encounter when you when you go in there. So hmm. we went out there one night. We're having a good time, you know, watching everybody dance. Everybody's laughing. I'm making friends. I'm I'm talking. Yeah. I remember distinctly sitting at the bar with this guy that was that was in the tranny show. Earlier, he's still in full makeup. Me and him probably talked for like three hours and, and had drinks. We had a blast. He was awesome. What kind of makeup do you wear you your trend? Is this like a lot of
2: grease
0: paint? Like grease, grease paint? Yeah, tra- uh, yeah. transmission fluid. Yeah, I was going to say probably pretty. Just like a mechanic.
1: Yeah, <laughs> sure. the, 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 yeah, yeah.
0: Really highlight the T zone.
1: It's all. It's okay. Everything's getting ready to clear up for you. Oh, okay. This. Yeah. I love the story so far. I've got a piss right. Yep. So I've been drinking, and that what happens. You drank a lot. You got to piss. I know you're not a drinker, up, but that's what happens. You got to piss. So I'm like, "Hey, will you excuse me for I got to run down. I got to run out of the bathroom, and take a piss." He's like, "Good to go." He was actually really flamboyant, so he was like, "Okay, I'll be here." And I was like, "Okay, man, I'll be. I'll be right back." So hmm. I go down to the bathroom and I go in, and I had ran into some risque stuff in there before, but I opened the door and I immediately see beside the stall uh, two pair of feet. And they're 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 facing the same direction. Oh, so I'm like, OK. OK, I got a pretty good idea what's going on here. What do you think they're doing? Em?
0: Yeah. Support system, probably.
1: Oh, uh, yeah. You think you think maybe he's one of them sick. He's holding his hair. Yes. Or that's a friend, right?
0: You know, the age old. Oh, no, this stall doesn't have the handholds for handicapable people. So that guy's holding him, cradling him in his arms as he drops his bowels.
1: Right, right. And, and we're about 10 seconds away from this all coming to a, yeah, a dramatic, dramatic head for you, Op. So, um, I'm excited. This is quite a climax. <laughs> I go up to the urinal, I unzip my pants and I get ready to start doing my business and I hear the cheering you on, huh? <laughs> and grunting. Oh. So what was happening, up is that there were two men in there and one of them, had his penis in the other man's uh, behind. What? No.
0: That is exit only. My grandma, she told me it's to
1: exit only. Oh, well, this guy's, it wasn't here. That This guy's shit was getting packed like a fossil. Wow. Just That is. There was so much pressure <laughs> being pushed on his intestines that it was crystallizing his, his feces and turning it into a hardened fossil. And he was just...
0: No, oh, because grandma told me that it's uh, not...
1: This fella was really... I okay. can't... Letting this, this boy have it. I mean, he was really... I don't know if he'd called him a bad name or something, but he was angry and he was beating his insides to death with his genitals. I've... And he was just really just... This... Sounded like somebody speed-bagging a large ham. Um... Remember that scene in Rocky when he's hitting the meats hanging in the freezer to train for Ivan Drago? That's what it was like, but instead of, I don't know if I have clarified this yet for you. Instead of fists hitting a ham, it was a ball sack hitting the back of another ball sack because his penis was in his butt. His penis was in his butt. Up. Yeah,
0: I I think I'm having one of those uh, moments where I can't remember what we're I can't remember this this period of my life right now. I'm thinking that's what's happening.
1: So I'm standing there. I'm I'm literally a foot and a half from another dude's entire lower lower digestive tract getting absolutely ruined. Ouch! And um, and I remember looking. I very distinctly remember. First off, I was giggling to myself. But I remember looking at the wall in front of me. I remember this so vividly. I remember looking at the wall in front of me and thinking, like, about my upbringing. I was, like, I I think I mentioned before, I I, I come from a very conservative. I was raised, and I got baptized whenever I was young, and I grew up in a southern church. And I remember, while this guy's just pounding this dude's ass, right? He is really just... Beating his guts out. Uh I'm looking at this wall, and and I'm thinking, I grew up, I went to vacation Bible school in the summers. This, just, I was just thinking about how interesting I had led my life. Just how, everything that had got me just listening to another man pound another man's ass. And I'm trying to, and that's the most nervous piss I've ever taken. Like, I normally don't have a nervous bladder i could pull out right here on camera in front of you up and piss on the on the on the computer <laughs> while you watch me it wouldn't bother me one bit but i just really had a hard time getting the urine stream to start because of all the intense ass pounding that was going on beside me and i just kind of kept giggling to myself and thinking about my very christian family back home in kentucky and if they just if they could see me now you know
0: have you uh have you ever got hives just looking at someone else and smiling hoping that the time will pass quickly? Have you ever had that happen? I just I just had a histamine response to that story.
1: Hmm. Oh, another fun pastime that I had while I was in the Marine Corps. I had a buddy, I'm not going to say his name. He was he was a Mexican fellow and he was uncircumcised. And we used to get him to pull his dick out, and he would roll his foreskin over a water bottle, the mouth of a water bottle. And he could hold the water bottle up with his dick, and then he would spin it around. It was the coolest trick I've ever seen, and that I just loved. I really enjoyed watching that. It was a lot of fun.
0: That sounds unsanitary.
1: Oh, and then also, like, just the experience of boot camp and showering with 60 other men, like, every single day, butt naked with 60 other men. And then we got to infantry school, and the showers, they changed the heads to where... Now you're facing each other because the shower was in the middle of the shower room. Hmm. So we in like boot camp, you're facing the wall. So at least you ain't got to look at it. But when you get to infantry school, the shower heads are in the middle and you're just, there's just dicks. They're just everywhere up. Just <laughs> wow. Dicks to your left, dicks to your right, dicks to the front. There's just like, it's like you're in a forest and all the foliage is dicks. It's just a, that's so many, so many dicks. Up.
0: So Bible camp when you went was called... Uh, boot camp. That's kind of, that seems like you really got into no, it. No,
1: no, this was different from vacation Bible school. This wasn't, this wasn't, this was Oh, diff- so you didn't shower with all the men It, Bible. it wasn't a Catholic vacation Bible school. Oh, okay. <laughs> Anyways, so now that we've cleared up the little miscommunication we had earlier about what the gayest thing you've ever done has been. Uh, uh, what is the gayest thing you've ever done?
0: Well, now that that's cleared up, I'll have to wait for the rash to clear up but um okay now now I, i'm on i'm on the same track okay one time i was a manager of a store in the mall called all wound up where that
1: sounds like a really gay store
0: yeah it does huh but it was a toy store i guess it still sounds gay yeah everything had batteries in it Still sounds gay, I guess. Yeah. But it was really just a real toy store. It was a subsidiary of Borders Books, 1996. Okay. So I was the manager and I'm setting up the store before it ever opened. And they called me and they said, Hey, we're going to have Brian come down and he's going to, to, uh, set up the decoration of the store. Like his job was to stage the store more or less, right? Like they don't, they don't trust me to do it. So they send a bunch of boxes and then Brian shows up and, Makes it look fantastic. So, um, yeah, I was there. Brian came and that's Brian's a great guy. We, oh,
1: he like came into the store.
0: Yes, came into the store, came right into the store. Got right in my face and was like, I'm Brian. And I was like, hi, Brian. He, over the next three days, I did what I was doing. And he would scamper around the store and make it look really beautiful. Did a great job. Got to know him really well. We went to lunch a couple times at the local old Chicago pizza pizzeria. Uh uh-huh. On the third day, he was like, well, I got to I'm pretty much done here. Uh what what do you got planned this weekend? And I said, "Well, I have a couple plans with my fiance and just uh doing this and that." And he's like, "Well, you should uh what if you want to maybe you should just come to Oregon with me?" And I was like, "Oh, that's that's cool. What are you doing there?" And he's like, I'm "Just going to camp." And I was like, "Oh, I, wow, that sounds fun." Um and then uh he proceeded to try to kiss me. Um, which I thought was a little forward for an invitation to go camping. <laughs> uh, and I was like, oh, oh. And, um, it, it, it made me a little uncomfortable because I thought we jumped from like REI to Ibiza real quick. You know, just yeah. suddenly the store changed from camping store to gay <laughs> dance club. And I was like, I don't understand what's happening. You know, I haven't had a fiance and I find myself to be more uh, homogenized as far as uh, if, if I were milk, I would be very pretty much homogenized, probably like a two percent, you know.
1: Right, right.
0: You know, I wasn't really feeling the vibes partially because I'm not attracted to dudes. Um, but he kind of continued to press me for like the next hour or so to go to Oregon with him. And I was trying to just maintain a very friendly, you know, that sounds fun, man, but no. And today, in 2020, I would confidently call what I received from this man sexual harassment. It was very (coughs) hard to make sure that a scowl didn't come on my face because I was constantly feeling a scowl trying to come on my face the whole time. But I was trying to just stay happy. I was trying to stay positive.
1: What you were feeling was a guy trying to come on your face (laughs) well yeah he
0: did he pressed his face toward my face and i could smell i don't know if it was aqua velva or aqua digio it was definitely one of the aquas but yeah no it was uh it was a little uh uncomfortable and it it, it would have been okay except for it really took me a long time to uh get out of that situation and i I had newfound respect for administrative assistants of all CEOs everywhere on the world. Because I'm sure with the figure that I had at that time and some of the figures that I've seen on administrative assistants for CEOs, yeah, we're in the same boat. So.
1: And you just got a taste of it. like I didn't taste anything. No, 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 no. Oh, yeah.
0: No, it didn't get that far. I smelled him. I don't know if the olfactory response is exactly you know a first base but you got close enough i could smell
1: so you got the first you yeah you, you almost got the first base mm, I, I was more like near the dugout what does what does standing in the same room as two guys just pounding each other's insides is that i was probably rounding second right like just being there because i feel like by by proximity because of how high the dot and the nozzles were turned up just because i was that close to it i myself was a part of that Right. Yeah, you were standing next to the
0: dugout, the du- and the dugout was being dug out, whilst
1: yeah. you stood there. Yeah. So. Oh good times, up. Good times. Yeah.
0: Good times. Being young was fun.
1: <laughs> fun. Uh, today's story is about Corpsewood Manor. the cor- The corpse. It's not about Corpsewood Manor. Today's story is about a man named Doctor Charles Scudder and his life partner, as he referred to him, Joey Odom. But the very unfortunate pinnacle of the story happens at Corpuswood Manor, and it's referred to as the Corpuswood Manor Murders. And for whatever reason, the place itself has kind of become more infamous than the people that lived there, which is always odd, isn't it? Like uh, what ends up happening, these two murders, is the only two murders that ever happened there. These were the same men that built the place, and they were the last men to live there. So it's not like it had a, a long history of horrible happenings like the Cecil Hotel did, but – more people are probably aware of the corpus of Manor than they are the two men that were murdered there which is which is odd,
0: yeah, I always find that odd when the building itself has a more haunting uh reputation than the humans that live there, you know like playboy playboy mansion, you know. Yeah. A lot of a lot of scary stuff has happened there. Uh, they actually found Legionnaire's disease there a couple of years ago in the water. That's crazy that a place like that has such a reputation. Um, jack in the box, another one I can think of.
1: Okay. So before we get there, hold on. You just made a jack in the box? You're going to need to explain that. You're going to need to elaborate.
0: Well, just that, you know, there's a lot of negative history with jack-in-the-boxes. Or is it jack-in-the-box-i when you talk about them in the plural? Jack-in-the-boxes. That, you know, everyone has a joke about jack-in-the-box, but it's really not the building itself that people have jokes about. It's about the level of service or the quality of the food. It's not the building that's haunted. What the hell is jack-in-the-box? You don't know what jack-in-the-box is? No. Well, there's two kinds. A, it's a restaurant. I
1: know the Jack in the Box, the children's toy, but that doesn't sound like
0: what you're talking about. No. No. Jack in the Box is like a – it's like a Wendy's. If, if a Wendy's and a Taco Bell had a baby and that baby was – uh Oh, sign me up. But the baby was uh sort of mentally stunted, that would be Jack in the Box. So A, okay. it's a restaurant. B – it's also when two guys are in a stall next to you in the visa while oh. you go to the bathroom.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. That's also a jack in the box.
1: Sort of. Uh, well, I know that one. So. Okay. So, uh, we, we just kind of jumped to the end of the story, but let's start from the beginning. So we're going to do a rewind. Yeah. Uh, okay. Rewind. Rewind. Rear, rear, rear. Dr. Charles Scudder was born in Wauwatosa, Milwaukee County, Wisconsin, on October 6, 1926. Now, there's not a lot of information about his his childhood. There's a little bit, but not, not a lot. Seemed pretty uneventful. Both of his parents, who were Charles Morrison Scudder and Eleanor Edith Lee, were both college grad, college graduates, which was pretty rare in 1926, especially for women to be college graduates. But uh seemed like he had a pretty privileged uh, childhood, good upbringing, solid upbringing. In the 1940s, he started studying at Oberlin College and was involved with the school's drama program, which Ooh. is probably the first red flag. That's the first rainbow flag. Okay, there you go. Now, it's around this time that he married uh, Miss Helen Kilborn Hazlett, and that was on the 10th of September 1946. They got hitched in St. Joseph, Barry, in Michigan in the good old U.S. of a... They had actually went to school together at Oberlin College.
0: Was Helen... Kil- was she related to Helen Keller?
1: Uh, I think it's distant. It's very distant. Okay. And and in, and distant, I mean, it's so distant that, no, they are not related at all in any way, aside from both being human beings.
0: Deep amount of research you've done here. I I applaud you.
1: Yeah. I was trying to trip you up there, but you, you got me. I like getting up in there like that fella in the stall was. So... They had studied together in Oberlin College, uh, him and his and his now wife, but uh, that marriage fizzled out pretty quickly and soon ended in divorce. And that was that was Doctor Scudder's first wife. Now, in the early nineteen fifties, he 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 had a second marriage with a a lady named Bortai Bunting. Bortai Bunting, Bortai Bunting. Yes, and this this lady is still alive. No, to this day she's living. Yeah, she might even hear this podcast. Have you
0: ever heard Bortai Bunting before? I have not. No, you, no, you have. You have. Do you remember? Okay, I'll take you back to a little scene in Ibiza where you are at the urinal. Do you remember hearing this? Bortype
1: bunting, bortype bunting, bortype bunting. Oh yeah, it was the wall yeah. shaking towards me and and coming back and yeah. Yes, that is the sound
0: <laughs> yeah. a bathroom stall makes when it's it's reaching maximum sheer capacity.
1: And it's so easy for me to go back to that because I do it so often. I wouldn't, you know, I like wouldn't. mentally. <laughs> Bortai Bunting was actually the daughter of a British modernist poet, Basil Bunting, and Marion Culver. Is that two women? No. Marion was a male and Basil was a female. Dr. Scudder had four sons. Uh, It's around this time he's transferred. He's now a student of Loyola University under a Dr. Alexander Karkzmar. Uh, After graduation, he became the associate director for the Loyola Loyola University of Chicago Institute for Mind, Drugs, and Behavior and worked as an associate professor. Now, he studied uh, drugs and their effect on the mind. That was his field, his interest. He he mainly focused on drugs, particularly government-grade LSD. Nice. Okay. It was like a gay Duncan Trussell that wasn't a stand-up comedian. All right. Yeah, I was going to go with –
0: what's his name? Who's that other – the, the the comedian that died that it was really pro-drugs, what was his name? Sam Kennison? No. Bill Hicks? Bill Hicks. I was thinking maybe Bill Hicks, but okay, Duncan Trussell. Richard we'll Pryor?
1: I mean, you said stand-up comedian that was pro-drugs that died. That's like every stand-up comedian that's ever died. That's a good point. <laughs> Mitch Hedberg. Like, just name one. I miss Mitch Hedberg. I liked that guy a lot. My favorite Mitch Hedberg joke is... uh a vendor the other day tried to sell me a frozen banana. He said, do you want this frozen banana right now? I said, no, but uh I would like a regular banana later, so yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> My favorite joke from him was when he said, a guy came up to me and said, look, here's a picture of me from before. And I said to him, man, every picture is a picture of you from before.
1: Anyways, Doctor Scudder, he's 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 studying LSD and drugs, and he's like the hip professor probably. He's a weirdo, and you got to keep in mind, you know, the time frame here. He's dyeing his hair purple and or red, and he also keeps a pet monkey. So this guy's a real wild card. He's a he's a wild man. So he's walking around campus, purple and red hair, which is really not the norm in the in the fifties, even on college campuses. So uh, it's around this time that he buys a mansion on West Adams Street in, uh Chicago's west side and starts filling it with uh, Baroque furniture that he had purchased from Balaban and Katz Chicago Theater because they were liquidating. Well. Yeah, he bought a mansion. So he's living in this mansion with his pet monkey and his purple and red hair. And this mansion that he bought was built in 1904 and was actually designed by a student of Frank Lloyd Wright.
0: Wow. Is he related to the Wright brothers?
1: Uh, uh, distantly, yes. Okay, I was going to say, why would we even know
0: that guy's name if he's Very
1: distantly. Maybe even more distantly than, um... Helen Keller. Yeah. Now, uh, Mr. Scudder, Dr. Scudder, Professor Scudder, was also an accomplished harp player and had been invited to play with the Chicago Symphony or- Orchestra.
0: So that's, that's pretty cool. sure.
1: Yeah. Now, although... Although the area that he had purchased his mansion in was a rough area, it was kind of down downtrodden. Uh we're not talking about like, you know, Skid Row, call back to mm-hmm. the last episode we did at okay. Season Hotel. It's not Skid Row bad, but it's a rough area. You, you know, people lock their doors. Uh it, despite this, he's living in a in a mansion and he just kind of he still enjoys it and he enjoys uh the fa- he said quote the fading splendor of the mansion and the space that it provided for his interests and those interests actually included collecting antiques uh he he loved to paint he loved painting which will come into play later and playing the harp which is a- an odd instrument interest- instrument to uh to specialize in very not
0: portable for sure not what Portable, Like if if you're like, hey, you want to hear me play a harp? Yeah, you got to visit that person to listen to them play. It's not like, you know.
1: You, you, yeah, you, that'll actually come into play later, too. Oh, OK. And now I'm really excited. So in 1959, he meets what will be his life partner, Mr. Joey Odom, who was 12 years younger than him. And, well, they didn't follow. I wouldn't say it was love at first sight because Scudder actually hired him to serve as a cook and housekeeper in that big mansion uh, and to help take care of his sons. Uh, and, they, and they shared quarters there.
0: I'd also argue that uh, anyone who has a pet monkey, you don't feel like you're, you, there's room for you in a relationship with that person. That it, it, it is a heavy responsibility.
1: Right, until it rips their face off. Right. That's a callback. So, you know, he brings Joey on, 12 years younger than him. Uh, yeah. and, and he's just supposed to basically help with uh, raising his kids, housekeeping, cook. Uh, just running the household. It's a mansion, you know, and he's got four kids. And he's, a, and he's a, at this point, a single father. There is speculation that it's around this time that he's, he starts uh, writing and receiving letters from Anton LaVey. Oh. You know who Anton LaVey is, up. Uh? Sure do. Anton LaVey is the founding member of the Church of Satan. Depending on the source that you read on Dr. Scudder, some will say that he had a full membership in the Church of Satan and was a red card carrying member, and others will say he wasn't. There's no, uh, legitimate proof to back this up. He was openly Satanist. He was very, he was definitely Satanist, but, uh, as far as being a card carrying member, that is disputed. According to his friends, whenever the subject of church or religion came up, Dr. Scudder would say, I'm a Satanist. So
2: mm.
1: now, okay, let's get into Satanism a little bit. Satanism a little bit. Would, you, would you, you want to do that? Yeah, let's let's get down underneath that. In 1966, Anton LaVey founds the Church of Satan. Uh, Anton LaVey is the, the godfather of Satanism. And despite what a lot of southern pearl clinchers would want to believe, it's they, they don't worship the devil, they don't worship anything, they're just atheists. So you probably ask yourself, well, if they're just atheists, why not just call themselves atheists? And the answer to that is, is actually much like Christianity. And it's, it's a way for them to feel superior to other people because mm, Satanists just, like I said earlier, it's just uh, a long word for atheist that lacks attention. The way I mean that is they're atheists, but they're atheists and they also like to trigger Christians. They like, they like, they're trolls, they're OG trolls.
0: And I will say this, if someone's listening and they're like, oh, that's a harsh criticism, or maybe they're a Satanist, you know, and they're like, hey man, that's not fair. I think really what, uh, factually what we're saying there is that they are atheists with a point to make. For example, here in, in town, well, uh, just outside of town because town is actually two, two tents and a research center run by the these guys are rushing around all the time. Um, but outside of town, there, there's a park, and the local Christian community decided to put a Ten Commandments monument in the park. Which should not be allowed. Yeah, it's it sort of not. a separation of church and state or, you know, whatever. Because
1: um, I guarantee you, uh, those same people would be extremely outraged if they if if they tried to put some kind of Islamic scripture in a public space.
0: Yes, right, and, and I think that is partially because you know there's always sort of a majority of of thinkers in a in a locale, and and I think they felt more overly comfortable that this represented the majority. I would suspect, but as soon as they did it, the local Satanists decided to. Put a, erect a monument to Satan using uh, the goat uh, and in uh, a giant pentagram. Baphomet. Yes. Oh. Um, which when I when I saw that I was like, okay, I get it. I get it now. So they just, I think the the point of it is they wait until someone makes a move that they see as very one sided. And then they're like, what's the opposite side of that? Let's do that thing to, to make a point. You know, that's what I mean. They're, they're atheists that want to make a point all the time. They're, they're waiting for you to state your beliefs so that they can then establish sort of an opposing belief.
1: And, uh, full transparency. I'm comfortable discussing my religious beliefs. And those are, I've had, like I said, I was raised Southern Baptist, all that stuff. And then like late teens, early twenties, I had bouts of atheism. Where I, I don't believe in nothing. I don't believe in nothing. And then like, mm. as I've gotten older, I think there's something up there, but I don't know what it is. So I don't really know where I fall on a religious scale. Um, probably, I believe they call that agnostic, correct? Where, yeah. uh, there's probably something up there, but I don't know who's right. Maybe, maybe Buddhists are right. Maybe, maybe, uh, you know, I don't know who's right. Well, according
0: to South Park, when everybody gets to, uh, to hell, they're like, so who was right? in Satan says Oh, yeah,
1: I remember that episode. I think he says the Mormons, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. those guys. He really does. I think so, doesn't he? He does. Yes.
0: Yeah. So <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? Uh,
1: <laughs> but uh, and yeah, uh, I know if, if there are Satanists listening here we got we're fucking pandering again. There's some more pandering. If Satanists, it's fine. If that's what you want to do, that's fine. But you have to see the irony in getting mad at me for for poking fun at Satanism here a little bit when the basis for your entire religion is poking poking fun fun. at something else. Yeah, you have to see the irony in that. Like you have to kind of – maybe you should turn that mirror a little bit on yourself. Well, what's funny is the
0: moment you say, look, Satanists, it's fine that you're Satanists. The Satanists say, no, it's
1: not. (laughs) So We're all good. We're good. They're good. We're good. It's just a big hug. <laughs> and I've actually got a really good friend that lives in Rialto, California. Shout out to Smiley, who is who is full blown Satanist, wears the clothing, it, love the God of Death. So
0: that's an ironic name for a Satanist.
1: Oh, he actually is a he's a good dude, real good dude. But good, yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of clownery. And, and the Satanism religion being that it basically exists to mock another one. And you know, in 2020, and this is only safe to do with Christianity too, which is something else that always confuses that, that I find confusing because you couldn't do this like with Islam or any other religion and get, and not just be called a bigot. But some reason, for some reason, you could do this with Christianity and get away with it. I I don't understand that at all. Yeah. There's a handful of religions that seem that, you know, you can kind of drag them through the through the
0: dirt and everybody's like oh come on now come on and you don't get beheaded but it's a you know short list
1: now uh, like I said Anton LaVey found in the Church of Satan in 1966 now this guy's like king ass clown uh, just a troll that's all he was Uh, he he stole his image from an old episode of the wild wild west not not the movie with Will Smith but an, an old the old television show starring and the character that he stole it from was actually Don Rickles where he played a Played a a witchcrafty in in the in the show Wild Wild West. So oh, weird. So he gets his image from Don Rickles. Everything from here forward is lies about his upbringing, his childhood. Everything he just lies about everything, and a lot of his wiser quotes and stuff is plagiarized. Like he's a lies and plagiarism. Anton Lavey is even his own daughter Xena, said he was a liar and that he was full of shit, and she. She ended up breaking away. She was the high priestess of the Church of Satan in the uh, – she became high priestess in 1985 and left the church in 1990 and basically called her dad an ass clown and said he's full of shit. Everything's – he's completely full of shit.
0: You know, it makes me wonder though if that's the case, you know, lies and full of poop – Is that irony or was he right on the mark with his brand? Was he on brand or was he complete? Was it completely complete hypocrisy, you know, because, hey, it seems pretty on brand if everything is a lie, you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I hadn't thought about that. That's a good point. Okay. well, the FBI investigated him, uh, I believe was in the late 70s, and they concluded that this guy's nothing to worry about. He is doing this purely for monetary gain. That is it. So they were even like, hey, "We ain't got to worry about this guy. He's just trying to get rich. Hmm. That's all it is." So it was all bullshit to him. It was all just uh, theatrics, theatrics, and acting, and mu- and 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 trolling people. That's all it was. Uh, so it was very similar to being a philosophy professor. <laughs> hmm. Exactly. But so my favorite—I th- watched a lot of videos and stuff on Antoine LeVay for this story, and and my favorite thing is seeing him talk, and then seeing these like. Angsty teenagers in the comment section, like this man is so intriguing. Like they just don't get him. Like yeah. they just don't get him. Life is darkness. Okay. And like nothing is out there and Christians fucking suck. And like, this is just, he's not intriguing. He was a douche canoe. And, uh, I will say this. I did watch the interview and you can get on YouTube and watch this. It's, it's pretty revolting. Uh, and this is on the opposite side of the coin, Christianity. He did an interview with a talk show host called Joe Pine. And if you type into, uh, YouTube, Joe Pine, Pine spelled P-Y-N-E, uh, and Anton LaVey, he interviews him and he's just a complete, cause at the time we don't know any of this, right? Like, so at the time we just think, oh, this guy is a Satanist, this is a new thing, and we don't know that he's full of shit at the time. Joe Pine is a Christian dude and was a complete douchebag to, to Anton LaVey, and, and it was kind of infuriating. Just let the guy talk. Like, I know he's a, I know he's a liar and a con, but you don't, you know. Like so he was really
0: interrupting and stuff?
1: It, interrupt him, calling him names, and, and to Anton LaVey's credit, Anton LaVey was very respectful the entire interview. He is interesting to listen to just because you know what's going on, that it's all bullshit, but he is uh, very well-spoken. Yeah, Joe Pond was a total douchebag in that, but. I have a
0: fun fact to know and share about Levay. What's that? A a fun fact to know and share about Anton Levay is in very early prints of the Satanic Bible that he wrote, you know? Yeah. He gave out a bunch of dedications. Uh, He dedicated the book to a bunch of people. Obviously, you know, your basic blocking and tackling, like. Rasputin, and Nietzsche, and whoever. But do you know who else he dedicated the book to? Who? P.T. Barnum, the circus guy.
1: Of of Barnum and Bailey's? Yeah,
0: yeah. Isn't that weird? Well, he
1: actually, that's interesting, because he claimed that he grew up in a circus for Barnum and Bailey's. And then his family was like, no, he didn't.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We barely had animal crackers
1: around. (laughs) It's just lies, just bold-faced lying. You want to know another fun fact about Anton LaVey? Yes. On October 29th, 1997, he died of pulmonary edema at St. Mary's Medical Center, which is a Catholic. (laughs) That's ironic. Which is, yeah, there's the the irony. That's that's poetic. The big takeaway here, though, uh, and this is very important, is that Satanists do not worship the devil. They, They do not worship anything. They don't believe in anything. It's a meaningless existence. I'm not talking about them i'm glad that they exist i'm glad that everybody exists i'm saying like it's just we're here and then we die and then we go back to dirt and that's Mm. what satanists believe so it's a very basic very fundamental very self-centered religion so dr scudder is not evil not any of that stuff just an atheist it kind of seems that he liked telling people he was a satanist just to kind of rile them up you know sure it's a troll the troll by the 1970s Scudder's sons from his previous marriage were all adults and He and Joey Odom, his longtime housekeeper and companion who he had hired in 1959 to help with his kids, continued to live in the mansion on West Adams Street.
0: Hey, do you want to – should I drop some hot coin facts right here?
1: Yeah, let's – hit us with some of that hot coin butter.
0: I got one that's going to blow your mind just all over your face. Okay, here we go. 1970, the quarters that the U.S. produced in 1970 – were actually printed over 1941 Canadian quarters. Wow. So the U.S. quarter was originally uh, the 1970 quarter for the u.s was originally a 1941 canadian quarter and then they just pressed the the american version of george washington onto it so here's what's really wild about that so if you have a quarter from 1970 and you look just above the word dollar on the quarter where it says quarter dollar if you see a 1941 there, that quarter could be worth up to thirty five thousand dollars.
1: Wow! So the couple had envisioned living an off grid lifestyle with their two dogs. They're living in this mansion, and they're just kind of daydreaming about getting away from the hustle and bustle, and and you know, going back in the woods and just kind of living like like the Unabomber, sure, uh, without the violence. The Unabomber, without oh. the violence. They had two English mastiffs. Named Beelzebub and Arsenath. Now, Ars- naturally, Beelzebub is obvious. You know, it's another word for uh, prince of the devils. I believe is what that stands for. Ooh, okay. Arsenath is a character from an H.P. Lovecraft work. Doctor Scudder was a huge H.P. Lovecraft fan, and I myself am too. So, I can understand that. Uh, I love Lovecrafty and horror and creatures. You know, Cthulhu, all that stuff. So they make good printers. The- <laughs> Doctor Scudder was tired. Of, like I said, university politics, uh, the daily hustle of the big city, and these like cranky-ass medical students. Not cranky, but just... Privileged. Yeah, privileged, just whining medical students. I think they know shit. And, and and they just wanted to get away. They wanted to get away from it all. Well, technically, if anyone's going to
0: know it's going to be a medical student. <laughs> yeah. Hashtag science.
1: Uh, um, on December... 17th 1975. Oh. This is just I'm just going to throw this in there. It's not related to anything, but Leonard Skinner released Freebird on August 3rd, 1973, 2 years prior, so that's cool. But on December 17th, 1975, after months of searching, they they were going to put their plans into action. They were going to actually pull the trigger on this, which was an accidental. That wasn't meant to be a pun. Uh, <laughs> they were actually going to do this. And a lot of people daydream, they were Dr. Scudder, this is a ballsy dude. Interesting guy. He's like, no, fuck it. I'm doing this. I'm doing this. So they've been searching. Uh, so him and Joseph Odom purchased a 40-acre plot of land in the hills of Chattanooga County, Georgia, for $10,500, which is a hell of a deal. For 40 acres? Yeah. ten. Ten thousand five hundred dollars. I would assume even in seventy five, that's a good deal. Downside was the property was only accessible by an old logging road. Kind of hard to get to, but for ten five, can't complain. Have
0: you ever heard anyone refer to a logging road as a new logging road?
1: Hmm, that's a good point. I have not.
0: Yeah, I wonder what makes them different. Like one's like, oh, this one has a lot less ruts.
1: Even in the early seventies, they were the old logging yeah, roads. Always. When were they? Were they ever new?
0: I don't know if you could actually drive on a new logging road maybe they're maybe it's not allowed
1: now Scudder is still working at Loyola uh, and while he's they pur- they purchased this land he's trying to get some some stuff done out there before they make the move so during this time he hires a crew to dig 160 foot deep wells to pump water is that a euphemism
0: for something
1: <laughs> no that's what that's no. just literally people digging into the ground so that they can have a water source to drink from. OK. Huh. Then in the winter of 1976, on his 50th birthday, Dr. Scudder resigned from his job as professor at Loyola University and moved with Joey to their property in the woods in Chattanooga County, Georgia, to their dream. They're, they're going to go do their dream up. They're going to they're going to live the off-grid lifestyle deep in the woods, away from civilization. And uh, it kind of sounds like fun, honestly.
0: Uh, well, yeah. Uh, have you ever been down an old logging road? It's. There's a lot to see down those. Hey, I have a question for you. Hit me is um, is Chattanooga County, Georgia? Is that near Chatuga County,
1: Georgia? Did I say? Was, have I been saying Chattanooga? I thought maybe it was near there. <laughs> did I say? Did I say Chattanooga? Uh, it, I didn't even realize I was doing that consecutively. <laughs> <laughs> it's Ch- it is Chatuga County. I live close to Chattanooga, so I guess I just kind of yeah. I figured. I was just on a roll
0: there. I was just rolling. I was going to let it go, but then I thought, no, we're going to get canceled. That's going to do it. <laughs> That's going to be the one. The one thing in this episode, they're going to be like, I take issue with your geographical error.
1: Yeah, I live pretty close. I mean, I live close to Tennessee, so I think default that whenever I see a bunch of letters in that together like that, I just my mouth immediately says Chattanooga. Yep, uh, Chattooga. Chattooga County, Georgia. Yes, good catch up. Well, you know. Now it's important. We should say that you know, Dr. Scudder worked at Loyola as the as the drug dude. He was the hip drug dude. He stole when he left his job three vials of government grade LSD that contained twelve thousand doses of LSD. Wow, that's a lot. Yeah, he also took two legitimate human skulls. Oh, <laughs> weird. Nobody ever noticed. There's literal human remains and 12,000 doses of LSD that just popped up missing. Loyola needs to start doing a better job of inventory because.
0: Yeah, that seems like a safety hazard right there. You don't want those skulls getting passed around campus. That's a no no.
1: (laughs) So, like I said, you know, he leaves his job in the winter of 1976 on his 50th birthday and they move, they move out to their property. Now, they, they had to go out there during an ice storm on their first day with their two dogs and they just kind of crammed everything that they could from their old mansion into their jeep whatever they could find because they knew they weren't going to have the space that they did prior so as as they attempted to reach the hilltop the first thing that they come across on this old logging trail and it's blocking the trail is a bloated decomposing massive corpse of a dead horse hmm.
0: seems like a bad sign
1: so that well it gets worse because then they named the road to get to their house dead horse road so creative uh, when they arrived to the site where they were going to be building their house they saw that a lot of the trees were falling it was kind of Very haunting, I guess. Because of the the kind of haunting, dead nature of the area they were in, they named it Corpsewood, which eventually became Corpsewood Manor because that's where they build their house. So they they just live down Dead Horse Road where you come up to Corpsewood Manor. I
0: feel like if they had used some of that acid, LSD, that they had, they would
1: have come up with some more creative names. Yeah, and what's interesting about that is Dr. Scudder was uh, not a proponent of drug use for himself.
0: Huh. I would not have...
1: Guess that. He, he liked wine and drinking, but he, he did not use drugs. He didn't care if you used drugs. Mm. You want to get blasted. Go be his guest. He's all for that. And I think that's why he stole that for, for guests. So Scudder and Odom, Odom, this is the site where they built their, their, their castle-like house of Scudder's own design on top of that mountain there. And uh, while they're building their house, they're living in a camper. The house that they built took 45,000 bricks. They did it all themselves, every single bit of the work. Neither of them were masons. Neither of them had any work in construction. Dr. Scudder just read a book on how to build houses and built this, and that's pretty impressive. That is. That, that's pretty impressive. This was a smart guy, very smart guy. Yeah. And, you know, some of the brickwork looks a little shoddy when you look at pictures of it, but they lived in it, man, and it was it was two stories. Wow. And it seems pretty sturdy. So... Did it all themselves. Walls were three brick layers thick, with two with a with a two inch insulation air pocket in between. Wow, that seems excessive. According to people that stayed there, they say that the inside stayed fairly cool in the summer and and fairly warm in the winter. It was it was pretty comfortable. The house had no electric, so they used lanterns and candles for light at night time. And by the end of the first summer, they were in to move into the first floor, and that that floor contained the kitchen, dining room, and living room. By the next year, they they had managed to get the roof over the two upstairs bedrooms, which is reached by a, a very like complex circular stairwell that was illuminated by this handmade stained glass windows that that Doctor Scudder had made, and most of the windows contained satanist uh, imagery of some sort.
0: I was going to say, if you're gonna have, if you're gonna be a satanist with a lot of drugs, what shape is your staircase going to be other than circular? So
1: well it's funny you say that he also designed this is this is where it gets interesting cuz he designed the house to not have any any corners the whole the whole house doesn't have corners it was all rounded uh, if you look at uh, if you were to look down on the house from the sky, it would look like a, a pill. It's pill shaped.
0: Oh, really?
1: This is because some people believe that demons and evil entities, if you don't have any corners, they, they have nowhere to hide. Which is odd
0: because you'd think if you're a Satan, you just
1: want to make a house full of corners, like make it
0: like a star shape or like a... Everywhere. Yeah. Dodecahedron, something like that.
1: It almost makes you wonder if it was another thing he did just tongue-in-cheek he's throwing everybody off including the devil (laughs) yeah (laughs) where am i supposed to stay
0: oh crap man
1: uh like there was no running water they just had the well so they had to pump their own water they didn't have a phone and there was no electricity that being said you know scudder it seems had a had a pretty good sense of humor and he was a huge fan of the adams family loved the adams family and and locking his own tastes and lifestyle to that spooky clan
0: he's my favorite president probably of all of them do what He's my favorite president, John
1: Adams. said, I wish I could go back to two seconds ago when you didn't make that joke. Ooh. Thanks for that. Like I said, he was the, he was a huge fan of the Adams family. He nailed a sign to a tree alongside the road to Corpsewood that said, Beware of the thing. Now, some sources you'll read or, or listen to or watch say that this was like a Satanist thing. But no, the Adams family, the show, in the show, the Adams family, there was a sign in front of the, the old creepy mansion that said beware of the thing it was simply a nod to his love for the show the adams family that was it there's nothing else to it a lot of people try to read into this so besides the two story house they built several like outbuildings there was one for them to shit in they called it a chemical toilet now i don't know what that consists of i don't i don't know what that means uh, i've seen pictures of it and it's just your basic porcelain toilet sitting in the middle of this brick this brick outhouse but I don't know how that works. They call it a chemical toilet. You got any ideas? Yes. A chemical toilet, it doesn't
0: require the depth of a regular septic system. Literally, there's chemicals in the recess where you would deposit the excrement, and it's filled with biological matter, uh, enzymes that consume our waste. And so it doesn't require a septic tank.
1: Okay, cool. I didn't know that. They also had a uh, a little a little outhouse that had their 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 well in it that they so they could pump water. Uh and most importantly, most importantly uh what they built was they called it the chicken coop, but it was three stories and and to be fair, I believe the first story did have chickens in it, but the second story was storage, but mm-hmm. the third story, this is where the story gets fun. The third story of the out- of the of the chicken coop was called the pink room. Oh. Now the pink room they called it the pink room because it, it was pink everything was pink. The carpet was pink, the bed sheets were pink, the walls were pink. It was all pink. And this is where this is where everything went down, man. This is, like I said, the second floor had canned goods and uh, the second floor also had a huge gay pornography collection, but the third floor, the pink room, there were whips and chains and handcuffs and and, and they would just bring people up there and just gay gay them up and just, ah oh, it just was just where everything went down. Recreation, just dicks and butts and dicks and mouths and men's mouths and just all men. It was all men. Wow. All men in there just jizzing on each other and snorting. They're probably snorting jizz like cocaine. Wow. And just rubbing in their eyes. Yikes. And like just coming everywhere and just wow. buttholes. Wow. Come just dripping out of buttholes and just wow! It's like and there's whips and chains and handcuffs and they're just. It's like Fifty Shades of Gay.
0: Well, that is that is more gay conversation than I've ever seen it that one in one sitting. Oh, but but one thing you know that comes to mind is: Do you know what the first floor and the third floor had in common? If the first floor had chicken coops on it, and the third floor was where all the Stuff happened? Do you know what they had in common? What? Peckers.
1: Okay, that was pretty good. Uh, I like that Thanks. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Now, uh, it's important to note that in the pink room, which is where I think Dr. Scudder just wanted this place to exist where you could just not feel weird about anything. You know, like whatever your fetish was. I think he was just very, very, very Open when it came to sexual like preferences. Also, I
0: wonder if maybe he wanted you to feel weird about everything. <laughs>
1: oh, you know, could be what that way too. Doctor Scudder was a very sexual, very sexual man, and uh, unfortunately, uh, they didn't really have the means out there to, to stay hygienic uh, the way that you would be able. You know, so this is probably realistically because they also don't have heat. They also don't have AC, right? So what this probably ended up being was just a sweaty smelly fuck lodge just wow that's, I i just i imagine how hot it would be in there it's it's georgia right in the middle of summer it's like 101 outside there's no ac and they're up on the third floor in this of this of this brick building that's heavily carpeted right because it's the 70s and everything has got carpet on it for some reason i don't know why we did that in the 70s and they're just Pounding asses and just sweating. God, it had to be so smelly in there. Uh,
0: it Sounds a lot like a like a bathroom stall in Ibiza.
1: Well, they had AC there. There wasn't a smell in the bathroom that I noticed. Those are very hygienic. Yeah, they had the urinal cakes, so everybody was good. Okay, yeah, okay. Very hygienic gay men. Yeah. So there's just a lot of gay stuff going on there in the pink room, and not just for Joey and Doctor Scudder, but their guests. You know, they they encourage them. Hey, go up there, do what you want. Whatever your fetishes is, we've probably got we've probably got the means to to take care of it up there, and then and then some prominent members of the local community started kind of Mm. showing up, kind of under the radar, you know, like hey, don't tell anybody, Mm -hmm. yeah, don't tell anybody I'm here, and it's they kept a logbook of of the guests that would come. Like at the top of Everest, huh? And this logbook had detailed descriptions of their sexual proclivities as well. Whoa. Come on in,
0: grab a chicken, go upstairs, grab some canned food on your way up, and, you know.
1: Just do whatever. No, no judgment here. You know, whatever you're into, we say go for it. That's kind of the way it was. You know, you, if you wanted to come and fuck in the pink room, you just had to put your name down and write down what you're into. So you probably look at it and would be like, Dale Smith, mayor. <laughs> Preferences rim jobs. <laughs> it not what that is. <laughs> now, interestingly enough, uh, later down the road, when they're doing investigations, the local police, this logbook disappears, vanishes. So maybe even some of the local police were going up there and cornholing you. So you know, aside from this, they Joey and and Doctor Scudder are living simply in their in their new very simple home and lifestyle. A wood burning stove provided heat. Most of their food they grew. What they couldn't grow, they they bought. So they might go to town once a month or so, you know, and, and get what they needed. And behind the house, they had a small vineyard for making homemade wine. And they say that Dr. Scudder was was really good at making wine. Uh, he even experimented with some stuff uh, like potatoes and, and vegetables. And they say that stuff was just god-awful and horrible. But his fruit wines... Were were delicious. Yeah, well. uh, they say it was really strong too. Most of the time, when you have a large supply of LSD, the
0: wine does come out a bit stronger. I find.
1: Heard the manor that they built had a library in it, which obviously included uh works of the occult. It wasn't just witchcraft and Kabbalah, but it also had a lot of academic studies, books, and literature books. And he was into everything, not just you know Satanism and and butt sex. He liked. He was a scholar. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, honestly,
0: probably not too different from a lot of uh, ancient scholars, to be, if we're being honest.
1: Yeah, I mean, if we're going back, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So uh, it's around this time, we're rounding up on the, on the early 80s, the satanic panic hits. And it, and one can pinpoint the, the, the time that the satanic panic hit, which started on November 1st, 1980, when the book Michelle Remembers was released. And sparks, what would eventually become the Satanic Panic. The book was about a woman that claimed to have been abu- abused by a Satanic cult, and uh, and her memories were brought back up by the author whose name was Lawrence Pazder, uh, who was a psychiatrist, and and she she claimed to have been abused, molested sexually, and everything physically abused by Satanic cults. And uh, this kicked off the satanic panic because everybody started believing that maybe their children be, would be, you know, yoked up by Satanists, these evil devil-worshiping Satanists and and abuse them children. And, and for whatever reason, the, a lot of people were also worried that what if they had gotten diddled by Satanists when they were younger and their memories just hiding it for them? So that's what kicked off the satanic panic. You know what's brilliant about
0: that is if you're a satanic cult and you're – doing culty things like that, you're probably really happy to have the Church of Satan around to act as a smokescreen for your activities because everybody's going after the people of the Church of Satan, but in reality, they're not the satanic cults.
1: <laughs> they're not even doing any of this shit. Seems, yeah. yeah, yeah,
0: seems uh, very
1: <laughs> convenient for them. <laughs> very convenient fall guy. There's no clear end date to the satanic panic. I'd say it was probably around the early 90s, wouldn't you? Probably... Yeah, late 80s. This is Georgia, so people probably didn't have a a positive outlook on Satanists to begin with. But the satanic panic hits, almost everybody has an issue with Satanists. Um, And on top of that, he's gay. So this is a gay couple living in the woods of Georgia that are Satanists. Despite that, it kind of seems like they had a lot of friends. Like in this very country, rural community, they, they still were very liked by a lot of people. Like they had a lot of friends, a lot of visitors, and not everybody just went to the pink room and started butt sexing. Like they had a lot of friends that just came over to drink wine and hang out. I'll tell you something that's probably going to be a little bit of a shock to you. Uh, and we probably
0: will never know this to be absolutely true. But I would wager that in any city, if you had full visibility on the people and places that would be considered the other underbelly of their community, they've got a lot of friends. And you'll never know it. Yeah. <laughs> Guaranteed.
1: The satanic panics kicked off, but they're still doing okay. They're being a gay couple in, in the middle of a rural area in Georgia that are also Satanists. They're okay. They made friends, and people would bring fruit to Dr. Scudder, and he would make wine for them and then name that wine after them. So that's kind of cool. They even hosted a wedding uh, at their place in the Rose Garden that was uh, accompanied by Dr. Scudder playing his... His massive harp from the sun deck above the gazebo that they had that they had built there now it's uh they had decorated a lot a lot of the Corpsewood Manor with with Satanist uh, aesthetics there was a a devilish gargoyle thing on the top of the gazebo as well I should just point that out but Dr. Scudder spent six years here with Joey it was a it was a never-ending project you know that the whole time they're they're digging they're building they're planting caring for the land and uh him and joey are happy and just drinking wine and being out in the woods and they've got everything they want they've got they've got wine and and peacefulness and quiet and and buttholes i was gonna say
0: and as much not peacefulness and quiet as they wanted to have apparently
1: yeah (laughs) joey loved he loved his rose garden and he also joey lived to cook I don't know if I mentioned that earlier. He was, he loved cooking. It was like his favorite thing. He was apparently a, a fantastic cook and he had always dreamed of cooking on a wood stove. And that's one of the first things that, that Dr. Scudder got him. So he's got this nice wood stove to cook on. And so Joey cooked all the meals and, uh, they're just living, they're living their best life, man. Dr. Scudder in this six years, uh, continues to make art. He's painting and creating stained glass that was incorporated into the windows of the house. And, uh, but, but another interest. Of his, uh, he was pen pals with a lot of inmates, gay inmates. So he would trade uh, gay, gay correspondence with inmates in prison, and they would just probably be like, "Oh yeah, want to just like to see your balloon knot." And I don't know how that works. I, I don't, <laughs> I don't <either>. know. How...
0: <laughs> you know, hey, I'll tell you something really quick. Here's an observation that I've made. To get real for a second. On something, You know, we, we look at some communities that are out there, and we look at maybe how flamboyant or colorful or maybe shocking they are, right? But put yourself in the time period of these gentlemen, and they were not welcomed. There was not a common component of the community. A lot of this stuff had to happen – if you had those proclivities, they, they happened behind closed doors, and no one talked about it. Yeah. So – and, and the, the wording may be a little bit overused, but I, I don't fault people when they settle into a place where they feel completely liberated with their preferences, when they feel that uh, they're finally in a place, uh, whether that be a location or a, a group of people or a community where they can completely let their hair down and... A lot of us might look at that and say, yeah, but the pendulum shifts just so far. It, it seems so unnatural. But imagine like living your whole life stopped up, not, not being able to experience know, yourself? experience what, what you see as, yeah, your desires or whatever, whatever you feel is fundamentally part of whatever, however you got to that point. And then when you finally can let loose, I'm sure that that pendulum does a lot of swinging. For a it probably
1: while. goes in a circle, like
0: circle, and maybe a figure eight, and maybe some stars. Flies off the clock, yeah, into a butt, into a pink room. Yeah, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. That's been my observation. Is uh, you know, it 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 seems like a an extreme, extremely colorful, extremely flamboyant lifestyle. But a lot of these people lived a lot of years where it was hidden. You know, and I feel bad for that.
1: I'll tell you what, man. Like, I've done a lot of reading about Dr. Scudder, too, uh, in this. And, like, in all of the people that we've talked about so far on this show, uh he seems like he would be just fascinating to sit down and have a beer with. Yeah. You know, like, and just talk with. Uh Seems like a really interesting guy. Seems like he'd be a blast to just talk to. Yeah. What is your deal, man? You know?
0: I'd probably relegate myself to the first floor near the chickens, and I'd probably imbibe On a root beer.
2: I'm saying ground ground level. level, For (laughs) sure.
0: You want to come upstairs or... No, I'm good with my root beer right here with... uh, Got some lovely chicken breasts down here, though. Really should be proud of them. Those bar drop chickens.
1: (laughs) It was also interesting to note that Joey was a Catholic. Oh. You know, back to the Satanism, like, obviously, it's more of a joke to him. I I think, you know, like... Yeah.
0: No, you know what? I'll extend your thought for a second. some reason... He was able to elevate himself beyond, beyond where a lot of people get stuck as they become emotionally bound, uh, psychologically bound to what yes. they believe is – ultimately ends up being stunting in their life. And he took it and kind of f- waved it as a flag. And has got to have know, fun and, with and br- it. Yeah, embrace the irony, and just was very literal with a lot of things. And I will often say I can't stand disingenuous people. But if you commit to what you believe, I can respect that. I don't care if I believe it, or, or you know, I I'm a proponent of your beliefs. But if you can stick and commit and justify your beliefs, man, that's that's enough for me. Just as long as you're genuine.
1: Absolutely. So. Unfortunately, you know, they, they stayed there for six years. They're living this life. They're living off the land. They're drinking wine. They're making friends. They're, they're doing gay stuff in the pink room with, with important people around town. And they've got a detailed record of everybody that, that has come up there. Uh, but six years into this, they, 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 they knock over the first domino that will eventually do their death. And that's when they meet a young man named Avery Brock. Local hunters would, would always come around the property. Like, like I said, they live back in the woods, and this is Georgia. So there's people always hunting for the land, right? And they would ask permission to use their land. Uh, but, but one day, Avery Brock is out hunting. I don't, I don't know if he was deer hunting or turkey hunting, squirrel hunting, but he kind of stumbles up on, uh, Doctor Scudder and Joseph and Joey Odom's house there, and huh. uh, and when he comes, so one of one of Scudder's favorite things to do was take the harp out on top of the gazebo and just play it to the woods. Weird, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I can't help but f- so this is how Avery Brock discovers Corpuswood Manor and and these two eccentric human beings is like he's just walking through the woods like probably got a dip in, got a good lip in. You yeah, know, just hope I come across me a turkey.
0: He just starts hearing yesu, joy of man's desiring. Yeah, <laughs> just the harp playing. You're like, where the heck is that coming from? And you walk up there, and then you're like, oh uh, hey, uh, you guys seen a horse I shot around
1: here? And They're like,
0: <laughs> do, 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 do. I wouldn't
1: walk up because I think that's the most horrifying thing. That like I would be like, what the fuck? Did I do a bunch of heroin before I can? What is? i ah, there's no way I didn't accidentally <laughs> eat mushrooms because there was a man <laughs> saying, playing a harp
0: in a castle that looks shoddily built <laughs> in a castle <laughs> on the, at the
1: end of an old logging road. So uh, Brock was a regular hunter. And this is how he met, you know, this is how he met Dr. Scudder and Joey. And he asked them if they would allow him to hunt on their land. And they said, of course, yes, they're very accepting and and just, you know, you do what you want. Yeah, you want to hunt? Yeah, absolutely. At some point in these meetings where he would come and let them know he would be hunting, Dr. Scudder invites Avery in and uh, sexual stuff starts happening. Right. Now, Avery Brock is very adamant later that he's not gay. Right. Now, it is kind of important to admit to note that that at this point, uh Scudder is 56 years old and Avery is 17. So This is a little pedophilic. to a certain, It's creepy. And you want to and anybody listening to this right now and going, it's not creepy. It's OK. Everything in the story is OK. I'm supposed to close my eyes and stick my fingers in my ears and go la, 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 la to anybody that disagrees with any aspect of these two men's life. Because everything they do is beautiful. It's all perfect. It's all OK. Don't question anything. Let me tell you why you're full of fucking shit. That is not okay, and let me tell you why. All you got to do is in your head, pretend like for a second that Dr. Scudder is a straight male and the 17-year-old is female, and now tell me that's okay. Do you think that's okay? Yeah. You think that's okay? No. That's not okay? No, I
0: think that – no. He wasn't – I mean, legally back then or even now, I don't believe he was considered to be an adult. I don't think that's consenting
1: age. I think the actual – the consenting age in Georgia at this point, it was 14 years old. Okay. Well – I mean, we can't change, we're canceling things from the 50s and 60s now for slot, uh, you know, infractions on what we consider to be racist now. We can't change what we consider to be pedophilic because the, uh, the offender in this case was a gay man. That's not how, that's not how shit works. Sorry. Right. Nonetheless, like I have said, I think that it was probably much more lax then. And, uh, but, but it's still creepy nonetheless. It's important to note that Avery keeps going back, right? Later in trials, he'll claim he was he it was it was against his will. He was drugged every time, but yeah. it's like why do you keep going back, dude? Like it's like he he kept going back. Did you go back there and go? You know, hey, I just came back. I came back here to tell you that you better not give me a blowjob right now. You better <laughs> not. I bet you won't even do it. Better not even try. Look, this dick. See it? I just pulled it out. You better I'm going to go up to that pink room and you better not come up there and give me a blow job, Dr. Scudder, cuz I ain't gay. Cuz I ain't gay and I'll be up there with my dick out, but I ain't gay. And you better not come up there and do stuff with it cuz I ain't gay, but I'll be up there and I'll leave the, the the door open and you can just come on in there, but I ain't gay. Now. But my Also, they lived
0: can't. in the middle of nowhere. So how How could he make the excuse that like, no, I just showed up over and over and over? That's like, you know, that's like being in the ski lodge and saying, no, I didn't want to go to the top of the mountain every time. And why, but I walked up there. I, I, someone made me. Yeah, that's the thing. It's
1: like way out of your way. Yeah. uh, Well, you know, I like hunting. Well, half of Georgia is woods. You just keep (laughs) hunting over there by the guy that (laughs) blows you. Like,
0: <laughs> and you don't. You think the animals are all drawn to the harp music or something?
1: Yep. <laughs> no. Unfortunately, because, you know, Dr. Scudder and Joey Odom uh, let Avery Brock get so close to them and their and their property, like they had so many other people, uh, Avery started speculating that, that they were both millionaires and, and that they had, you know, a hidden fortune there somewhere because uh, they're living in this mansion out in the woods. Uh, they had spent most of their savings on building this, this homestead. So that, that wasn't the case. But in Avery Brock's dumbass, dumbass head, these guys are millionaires and there's money somewhere there. They're hiding a bunch of money somewhere.
0: I would guess that when you see them and the, the extravagant lifestyle and everything, even though there's probably a lot of body odor and, you know, a healthy number of flies, I would say at different times of the season, it would probably be hard to look at that. The 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 extravagance, the you know the the lax lifestyle, the drugs, potentially all that, and not connect the dots that there's probably money involved, wouldn't you say? I mean, right. who go- who yeah. goes out in the middle yep. of nowhere and then you know scraps their whole life? And most of the time, if you go in the middle of nowhere and scrap your life and build your own house and play harps from the. Usually, it's backed by money, or you're completely yeah. crazy.
1: Well, Doctor Scudder had had a, had a small inheritance. He got a hundred dollars a week from an inheritance from, I believe, it was an aunt that passed away. So he did have some, a little bit of income coming in every month. And because they don't have electricity, they don't have phones, they don't have running water, uh, mm-hmm. and they paid for the land straight up. There's not any bills. They don't have any bills hundred dollars they could probably get by on. They're growing all their almost all their food.
0: Mm-hmm. They're not putting that money into deodorant, that's for sure.
1: No, they're they're not spending it on deodorant, and they don't have to use birth control, right? So they're not spending it on birth control Maybe. either. They're basically
0: pe- spending it on chickens and things that are pink colored. I mean, that's once yeah. you re- you can only have so many pink things before you're like, okay, this room's done. We have yeah. furnished this room. It is staged. Yeah.
1: Uh, Avery Brock had a rough childhood. He had a pretty rough, rough upbringing. About, uh, two months prior to the, to what would eventually be the murder, he moves in with, uh, his friend, 30 year old Tony West, who was a real piece of shit. Tony West was a cri- lifelong criminal. There's a whole backstory on this guy. He's just a real bad dude. Uh, one attempted murder charge, one actual murder charge. Like just, he's lifelong criminal. Avery Brock, uh, just kind of lets it slip. That there's these quote, queer devil worshippers. Who he believed were hiding a fortune up there, in, up there in the woods. He lets Tony West know this. Uh, upon telling Tony West know this, the two start planning. A, they're going to rob the couple. Mm-hmm. They're going to rob them. They know they got money up there. All right, up So on December twelfth, nineteen eighty two, uh, Tony West and and Avery are hanging out, and they're hanging out at nineteen year old Joey Wells' house, which was a friend of Avery and Tony's. Joey's there with it on his first date with a beautiful young lady named Teresa Hudgens. Joey Wells and Teresa Hudgens plan on just hanging out for the night. You know, apparently Joey's car was broke down and they're just gonna watch TV. I don't I don't know what was playing at the time, but Tony and Avery butt in and they're like, No, no, come with us, we're gonna go they plan on just riding around, you know, riding around, probably smashing mailboxes up, whatever a seventeen year old in Georgia does and a amateur criminal thirty year old. So for whatever reason they join these two assholes, poor Joey Wells and, and uh Teresa Hudgens, who are also victims in this story because they both seem like they were okay, you know. Mm. Uh, but they start going up. They, they start riding around, and I don't know. I, I, I looked up what what songs are big at this time. You know, it's it's late at night. What was number one on the charts at the time was "Hey Mickey, You're So Fine." So they're cruising the back roads of Georgia.
0: Hey Mickey, You're So Fine, You're So Fine, You Blow My Mind. Hey Mickey,
1: Hey Mickey, and uh, but what, but but even better. Was another Holland Oats song. <laughs> oh, really? Wow. I feel like there's a theme here with Holland Oats. <laughs> called Maneater. And I looked this one up and I didn't know it. I didn't know Maneater, but mm. that was also on the charts. So they're driving around. They're, they're blaring, Hey, Mickey, you're so fine, probably. And just, you know, living it up. These three teenagers and Tony, who is 30. <laughs> you know,
0: I could see Backwoods, Georgia. Is, if I recall correctly, yeah, 1982, but everywhere in the United States. At 5 o'clock, you had fame. That was on TV. 6 o'clock, you had, depending on location, you had the greatest American hero. 7 o'clock, if you were lucky, you had a couple seasons of the greatest TV show ever called Tucker's Witch. And then mash. So once mash is over, what are you going to do? You bored. So you go drive around. So I can see. All
1: that sounds like the worst television lineup ever. Yeah. So glad that I don't have a, a, like, I was born in 86, so I don't have memories until, like, the early 90s, 95. 90, 1990, 1991, whenever you start, when do you start making memories?
0: Hmm. Well, you know, I don't know if any, uh, honestly, I just tell people, I don't know that you've experienced life until you've experienced the TV show Tucker's Witch. So
1: I'm just going to take your word on that. I'm, gonna, yeah. So they're, they're driving around. They, they need gas. They pull into a gas station. They all chip in and they get one worth of gas, which <laughs> in 1982 probably filled the tank. Yeah. But, And then they're like, you know, what are we going to do? We've got, we've got, hey, Mickey, years are fine. And, and, but, but the night is young. And Avery comes up with the big idea. Hey, let's go to Corpsewood. I know, I know a couple guys up there that'll, that'll give us some wine. And they won't, they won't blow me because I'm not gay. But (laughs) they will blow guys, but not, but but not me because, but I'm not, because I'm not gay, but they will blow guys. And they're probably (laughs) like, well, Avery, why'd you bring it up? Like, I don't know. I don't know. I just wanted you guys to know that they have never blown me. I just want to put that out there that they haven't blown me. Okay, keep talking. Stop talking about it, Avery. Avery, you're talking about this a lot. No, I'm talking about it normal amount. I mean, I'm just, I, they, my penis, I just wanted to say that it's never been in Dr. Scudder's mouth. Uh, Okay. So they all agree to go to Corpsewood Manor, pull in the driveway, and Dr. Scudder comes out and meets him at the car, bums a cigarette, and says, Yeah, hop out of the car, go up to the pink room. I'll meet you up there, and we'll party. Because they also use the pink room for partying, not just for balloon not shenanigans. Oh, okay. Multi-event center, drugs, alcohol, sure. hand jobs. It's like the YMCA. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they head on up there. Doctor Scudder meets them up there, and the group of four they uh, they all start drinking Doctor Scudder's wine and and doing a little drug called Tootaloo, which I should also throw out there they were they were doing while they were driving around, and it's. A cheap way to get to get high and it's a mixture of varnish, paint thinner, and and a few other chemicals in a plastic bag. You're just huffing huffin' chemicals basically. Okay. And they called it. All
0: right. I was the oodaloo. Okay, Toodaloo. Yeah. I was thinking you were talking about the sexual practice of Luda Tuger. But that's different. That is so.
1: That's <laughs> probably also happened in the pink room though. Yeah. Everything has happened. If these call if these walls could talk, they wouldn't, they would just scream. Yep. That's one game of
0: Twister you want to stay away from. One hand on the brown dot.
1: So they're all up here, aside from Dr. Scudder, right? He's up there, but he's not taking part in the drinking and the wine. And they're drinking wine, or he's probably, Dr. Scudder's probably drinking wine, but the other, the rest of them are doing Toodaloo, and everybody's just getting high and drunk and having a good time. And and it's here, it's it's at this point that, that every Brock decides, this is when we're going to do it. We're going to rob these people right now. So he he dismisses himself. He's like, I gotta run back to the car. I'm gonna go run down to the car. I'm gonna go get some more toodaloo. Toodaloo, you Be right back. You know, it just now hit me. I bet they call it toodaloo because when you start huffing all that stuff, it's like Bye. See ya. <laughs> See ya I'm going to the backwoods with the harp. I'm on another plane. <laughs> exactly. Toodaloo. toodaloo. Uh so he leaves he leaves the pink room, goes down the three floors to the ground, goes to the vehicle. And grabs not two but instead a 22 caliber pistol and a rifle and he's like, this is when we're gonna do it. We're gonna rob him right now. Wow. So Avery Brock uh, climbs back up and immediately turns the rifle on Scudder, points it at him and he's dead serious. Many people have said that Scudder had a knack for de-escalating situations and and trying to calm people down and and never like really losing his cool. you know mm. Scudder looks Brock in the eyes. He's also a little tipsy at this point. He's got a rifle on him and he goes, bang, bang. Like, you know, and then just kind of laughs. Oh, bang, bang. (laughs) I could just see him kind of laughing like the, uh,
0: like that one, the, the one rich guy on Gilligan's Island.
1: (laughs) Bang, bang. (laughs) Oh, bang, bang. So Brock kind of like, Laughs for a second. He's like, oh, yeah. And he sits down and starts drinking again. He's like, oh, okay. Just like that. And then, like, after like 15, 20 minutes, he's like, no, wait a minute, damn it. Oh, he did the trick on, like, no, I'm here to rob him. And then, uh, you know what? Let's let Jack Luna describe the rest of this. Oh, this is when shit goes, this is when shit goes south. Yeah,
0: I like that you and I keep it really clean and we leave the dirty work to Jack.
1: Yeah, he has to get in there and do the dirty stuff in the pink room of all places.
0: I refuse to talk dirty, and I'm glad we have
2: Jack to do that, so. So, uh, Jack? The gayest experience of my entire life, and there were many stands out because it happened to me rather than the rest that happened around me. Also, it went down without my young self even knowing it. While camping with an older boy, he suggested we play Truth or Dare to pass the time. I chose Dare, and he challenged me to take off my clothes and rub naked bodies with him for a full minute. It was kind of funny, until he peed all over me. His pee was sticky, and I just figured teenagers had sticky pee until i got older and realized i'd been ejaculated upon so not so much a gay experience as it was what some would likely consider a sex crime today even then i suppose that was a bad example perhaps let's try again i was basically taken in as the surrogate child of a gay couple for a few years at a pizza place where i worked evenings as a short order cook for cigarettes and Food in my late teens. Watching them slow dance at Christmas was something I'll not soon forget. A six foot five black man who was the sweetest person I've met in my life still is to this day a teacher, Vietnam War vet, and his lover, a five foot five Latino firecracker who'd dress and drag every Thursday night and play nothing but Gladys Knight and the Pips on the ghetto blaster. These two did the bravest thing I've ever seen, the gayest thing I've ever seen held each other and swayed to Nat King Cole in front of a throng of homophobes who'd laughed and jeered and even made retching noises as they danced. The two were so clearly in love and completely galvanized as well as unconcerned with what the customers thought of this display, of that incredible slow dance on Christmas Eve, and it truly was the gayest experience of my life. Their eyes were like diamonds, Anyways, where am I? Oh, right, the pink room. Bang, bang. Bang, bang. Bang, bang. The young man Avery had lost his patience with the doctor's claims that they were cashless, treasureless out here at Corpsewood Manor, and had left to go check what they called the big house. Soon after, Scudder heard the shots and knew his lover was dead the fairy tale gone grim as all fairy tales must if they are to be remembered the silence that followed the shots confirmed that his beloved dogs were gone too and as he was led bound and gagged from the pink room past the brick shithouse to the manor proper the doctor realized that sweet Joseph's premonition had come true his lover's vision, that had just recently been summoned to stiff reality with paints, was escaping the canvas. Inside, the atmosphere was heavy, the energy scary, even for Corpsewood. Scudder, flanked by wide eyed youngins, their faces illuminated by lantern light, the type of glow that makes the old look young and the young look ancient, moved through his home like a stranger, not recognizing the aura of the place interested only in confirming what he already knew. When he saw the dogs, it hurt. Big boulders of fur, snout and paws laid out by the fireplace like morbid fair prizes, dozing giants soft to sleep now and forevermore. And then Joseph, so violently dead, his face frozen and surprised by the sudden unceremonious end, Joseph Odom broke the doctor, Scudder fell to his knees and the house somehow filled with his own voice. The melodic sounds of his harp. A strange thing, but no matter, no matter at all. The painting would come to life next, as the doctor cried out past his gag and crawled to the corpses. His darlings. Somehow, he had wasted them, lost them, and he wanted them back. Bang! A single bullet wouldn't be enough. The youngins are screaming as the doctor announces through bloody teeth. I asked for this. Then, like his lover, he dies brutally. Face filling with bullet holes. To match the ungodly painting. To meld with it. What the f- What was that? I thought he was just gonna-
1: Wow. I thought he was just gonna do the Dr. Scudder- Uh- did Jack just admit to being molested? <laughs> so? I mean, we can't just we can't just ignore we can't just ignore that. No. So, I, like the friends that we are, we should go ahead and explore that. Make fun of them.
0: Yes, I agree. Wow. All only thing I could think while I was listening to his experience was, sounds like all of that that Jack went through was just intense. <laughs> <laughs>
1: As, speaking of tense it sounds like three were pitched that night. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just what hey,
0: you know how you know when the, how uh, hey, you know how you know that uh your molestation experience didn't just sneak up on you how when you s- take off all of your clothes beforehand and <laughs> rub up against another dude. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that did, that didn't just that didn't just get you. <laughs> if it takes five minutes to get undressed, and then you willingly rub your body against another much older boy, and then let him pee semen on you.
0: <laughs> hey, Jack, why don't you take off all your clothes? Well, my clothes are still kind of wet because of the lake and
1: all, but okay. Oh no, he's unbuttoning his pants like I'm being molested. <laughs> Oh, and you never take dare in the woods with an older boy. (laughs) What do you fucking mean truth or dare? There's two of us. You're just trying to suck my dick. That's the only way. That's the only reason you can even suggest this game.
0: (laughs) What do you call a race with Jack to see who can take their clothes off faster? What's that? Jack off.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So this really happened to him. Uh, He he has brought this up before. Like, this isn't him. This actually happened to him. He was molested. (laughs) He sure did. Uh, Sounds like I'm not the only one that joined the Boy Scouts.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You know what merit badges he earned that night? What? Space exploration. (laughs) And and Whitewater. I would say he definitely earned Whitewater. You know what he didn't earn though? <laughs> Any self-respect? <laughs> I was gonna say the crime prevention, merit match, but yeah,
2: self-respect
0: went right out the tent window.
1: <laughs> Man, I thought our stories about our gayest experiences in the beginning were good and then fucking Jack always has to come up and one up us with the molestation. <laughs> Like I hate that we have loving families that didn't let us sleep with much older boys and tents out in the woods. Like,
0: <laughs> oh my gosh, oh man, oh. Mm. <sighs> Actually, the uh, I'm not surprised that uh, that that this happened if if he was out scouting because the uh, the steps to earn a merit badge are one, pick a subject. I'd say they did that pretty well. Two. Use the buddy system. (laughs) Three, unless otherwise specified, working on a requirement can be started at any time. Sure did. And then finally, show your
1: stuff. (laughs) And last but not least, help train your buddy. And Jack was like, What's that does that say help drain your buddy? He just misheard over the crackle of the fire. (laughs) The worst part about being covered in semen out in the woods is there's no way to wash it off. And that stuff is like Elmer's glue. (laughs) So he had to wear it around in the woods the next day. (laughs)
0: <laughs> he woke up the next morning inside of his sleeping bag and stuck to it like a chrysalis.
1: <laughs> Am I turning into a butterfly? And then his buddy's like, "Truth or dare?" <laughs> and Jack's like, "Dare." <laughs> oh. We're sorry that happened to you, Jack. Oh um. my goodness. I can't even. That, yeah, it's just tragic. It's horrible. That's horrible and horrible. And we're here for you, buddy. That's... I love you so much. People lack empathy these days, really, for it. They do. Yep. What were we talking Oh. We're about to talk about the deaths. Do you
0: think maybe we should do a disclaimer before we talk about this part? <laughs> I,
1: don't think it, I don't think it matters anymore because this show just went down like a lead, like Led Zeppelin. <laughs> This is never making it to any kind of mainstream (laughs) Oh, man. Like, even the most hardcore fans are like, did they just make fun of him for getting molested? (laughs) For like 10 minutes, it was making fun of him for getting molested. So, it's been a fun show up, and I've enjoyed doing this show with you. It may have been short-lived, but um, it was worth it.
0: (laughs) Everyone, if this makes it to air... You know that Jack has reviewed this and allowed us to touch him.
1: My cheeks are. Let's do a quick recap on on what happened. The eventual fate of our protagonist of the story, Doctor Charles Scudder. Well, shall we? Shall we? We shall. Oh, that was good, Sam. Okay, I'm gonna take a that I'm gonna a take good. a breather here for just a second. Oh. <clears throat> okay, that went well. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to blow people's socks off, I think.
2: Oh, man. Okay.
1: Okay, here we go. Now, when we left it for Jack at Bang Bang and then we was thrown into a tent out in the middle of the woods, whenever we did that we left it bang bang, which is what Dr. Scudder says to Avery the second Avery pulls the twenty two rifle on it. Yes, right. They say that Dr. Scudder had had a knack for diffusing situations de-escalating situations and kind of charming his way out of pretty intense situations and for a minute there this was no different dr scudder says bang bang and kind of laughs a little bit plays it off avery being the dumbass that he is is like (laughs) and then they sit down together and start drinking Avery's got a twenty two rifle. I kind of picture it like John Waters coming into the room like, oh,
0: bang, bang. <laughs> you know? Bang, like,
1: bang. Like
0: he's got like a one of those long plastic filters and then like
1: a cigarette on the end. He's like, oh, bang, bang. <laughs> bang, bang. Dr. Scudder says something even creepier here in a minute. So they sit there for like 20 minutes. They're doing the toodaloo and drinking the wine. And then Avery has like this, oh, yeah, I was I was here to rob and kill him. He fooled me, that <laughs> whippersnapper. So he's like, no, back to the robbery. He, pulls the, he puts the gun back on Dr. Scudder. He's like, where's the where's the fucking money? Gay guy, because I'm not gay, but where's the money? Gay guy, he's like side-eyeing Tony West. Like, you hear that? Because nothing happened between me and him. <laughs> he's trying to earn the not gay guy merit badge. So they, they've got all their money tied up in this property. And what money they did have was at the bank. There's literally no money at the property. He's like, we don't have any money here, man. We don't have any money. Unfortunately, Avery doesn't believe him. It's at this point that he hands Tony West the 22 rifle, pulls out a 22 pistol that he also got out of the car, also pulls out a knife, and starts cutting strips of the bed up of the pink sheets. He puts the knife to Scudder's throat, and Scudder looks at him and goes, Oh, what game you want to play? I'll play your game. Ew. Um And it's at this point that Avery doesn't say, Truth or dare. He actually says, <laughs> Where's the fucking money, bitch? And then... Scudder's like, I already told you, there's no money here. They start gagging him and bounding him. It's at this point that, that Avery has Dr. Scudder gowned and ba- ba- gagged and bound. Maybe gowned and bagged, too. You never know. Def- somebody has definitely been gowned and bagged, whatever that means, in this, in the pink room at some point. Somebody has been gowned and bagged. He, he gives the rifle to Tony West, and he says, keep an eye on him. I'm going to go to the main house. Avery makes his way down to the main house where he finds Joey Odom. He gives no warning. He gives no nothing. He just shoots Joey Odom four times in the head. Kills him instantly. Goes over to the two sleeping dogs by the heater. It was a wood-burning stove. Shoots them. Kills them both. We're not really sure what he did while he was in the house, but he was there for a very short period of time, whatever it was. And while he's gone, while Avery is gone, Joey Wells and Teresa Hudgens make a run for it. They try to escape Tony West. They actually make it down to the vehicle where Tony West catches him, and then, because Tony West is also a... Total idiot. Joey Wells somehow talks him, no, no, dude, let's just get out of here. Let's just, let's just leave Avery. Let's bounce. Tony's like, oh, okay, okay, we could do that. So he gets in the vehicle, but the vehicle won't start. Oh, man. And Tony West takes this as, oh, well, I guess I'm supposed to, we're supposed to finish this. That's God. Supposed to. Yeah, right. Sure. Because that's the kind of thing God wants you to do is, is brutally murder and pillage these two men that haven't been bothering anybody. Out here in the woods. That's that's what God wants you to do, there, Tony West. So, yeah, he forces Joey Wells and Teresa Hudgens back out of the vehicle, back up to the pink room, where moments later Avery returns and announces to Doctor Scudder, "I killed him. Killed Joey. I, I killed Joey and your dogs." That's actually quote what he says. You know, really quick,
0: just a, a thought. What's your thought on? It's even textbook now, according to like Mindhunter and you know the, the like that killers and psychopaths have a tendency to have in their history a a history of killing animals of of hurting or killing animals what do you think behind that why why do you think that is why do you think that they do that
1: because i think it it's something that escalates that's easy and it's not peter would disagree but it's not something that you're likely to get in tr- in trouble for and it's not it's not that big a deal when compared to humans so they 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 bring Dr Scudder down bound and gagged from the from the pink room from the pink room down to the main house where Dr Scudder is unfortunately faced with the horrific scene that is the two dead mastiffs uh he's placed on the couch there but still bound and gagged not really saying much while Avery and West kind of scavenge the house they're just looking for anything they can find valuable money where's the fucking money they're still yelling at him He's, there's no money here. It's at the bank. There's no money here. It's around this point. Doctor Scudder's sitting on the edge of the couch, kind of defeated. I think he's accepted his fate at this point. But he he sees he sees the body of Joey Odom. That's his life partner. Is the love of his life. And I think this is when he kind of seriously just gives up. And uh, he drops to his knees, starts crawling to Joey Odom. It's around this time, almost the time that he gets to Joey's body, that Tony West shoots Doctor Scudder in the face. Doctor Scudder mumbles through through gag and blood, "I asked for this," which I don't support because that's victim blaming. But um, right, which is a well-timed joke on my part, and in, in, in the scheme of this story, that's well, it gets us
0: out of the. It gets us out of the weeds with anything that we would have said. So, box checked.
1: Yes. Yes, you shouldn't victim blame, even if it's yourself. Never. You didn't ask for this, Dr. No. Scudder. You were minding your own business. Exactly. I don't even care what you were wearing. I don't even... Even if he was wearing a low-cut top or a skirt, he didn't ask for any of this. I wonder what Jack was wearing that not in that tent.
0: <laughs> probably something pretty form-fitting, I would assume. But, you know, he probably followed, up, followed it up with... Look, I should be respected for my personality, not for the swim trunks I'm, I'm wearing mm,
1: that are crumpled in a heap beside me.
0: <laughs> Jack, were you judged by the clothes you were wearing that night? No. Why? Why do you feel that's the case? Because I wasn't wearing any. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, shit. Anyways. Mm. So Doctor Scudder says. So Doctor Scudder says. I asked for this, and it's at this point that Tony West puts a few more rounds in his head. Uh, four at this point, four total. And this piece of shit, Tony West. It's a he. He screams now. By God, tell me I ain't got the guts to kill somebody. Which is a little obscene because nobody said that you didn't have the guts to kill somebody, Tony West. Nobody. It's like, who's he talking to? Who are you even talking to? Nobody, everybody is terrified right now. We just want to go home. So the house, they continue ransacking the house, looking for anything they are fine, but they're both dumb as shit. They don't know what's valuable. There's valuable paintings. There's all kinds of stuff around there. They end up stealing a bag of change, um, a few gold-plated items, and they attempt to steal the harp, but it won't fit in Scudder's <laughs> CJ5. So I just like to imagine really? these two inbred retards... Uh, we got to cut that word out. That can't be in there. <laughs> Let me go back. Okay. <laughs> so I like to imagine these two inbred idiots just trying to shove this massive. How heavy? To, how much does a harp weigh up?
0: Oh, they're not light. I mean, it, it, it's basically a piano propped up without the wood enclosure so it they're not they're not like they actually have caster wheels on the bottom and you tip it side you tip it onto its back and you wheel it around and it sounds like you're wheeling a casket around when you do it i'll bet you i'll bet you they're i don't know three four hundred pounds so you know
1: they just left this harp in the driveway whenever they left like they're not, we're not taking that back inside
0: like what was the end game anyway like what no one around there is going to be like oh hey you guys got a harp too just like those weirdos in the mountains
1: that also happened to be murdered
0: yeah they're 500 miles from the next harp and probably 800 miles from a pawn shop that would take a
1: harp Uh, this is the middle of georgia they're at least a thousand miles from the next harp (laughs) it's going to be harp to get rid of that so while they're ransacking this house Dr. Scudder is making some gagging noises, some some breathing noises. He's in his death throes. He's probably brain dead legally. Uh, The body is in the process of shutting down. But uh, just to make sure, Tony West stands over the body and pumps one more round into his forehead. Now, it's uh, interesting to point out that hanging near the entrance was a painting that Dr. Scudder had done showing his own death. It was his head. If you can look it up on the Internet, you can Google it. Uh, and, and it's Dr. Scudder bound and gagged with five bullet holes in his forehead exactly the way he died. Really? Um and this is according to some sources, a premonition from Joey Odom, and then Dr. Scudder painted it. Odom came up with it and then Scudder painted it. Later in trials, they they bring up the fact and ask them if if that was an influence on how they killed, and they hadn't even seen it, so no. So it is purely coincidental that he died exactly the way that Joey Odom had Envisioned, and and Scudder had painted. So, and why would they lie about that? At that point, they were already busted. They knew who. So, like you know, they were coming clean about everything at that point. So, they have no reason to lie. No, we we didn't see that painting. You know, yeah, that's it's weird. It's weird that that would be that accurate. So they they take what they can. They they force Teresa Hudgens and Joey Wales into the CJ five Jeep, and then they steal Doctor Scudder's Jeep, which is probably the most obvious stolen vehicle ever because it has a massive pentagram on the door <laughs> and all kinds of Satanist symbols on it. It's like it's like trying to make a it's like killing Dan Aykroyd, Bill Murray Harold Ramis and and the black guy from Ghostbusters. What's <laughs> What is his name? Oh, that's going to bother me. He was one of my favorite Ghostbusters too, which I'm saying right now. You mean, oh, oh no you're talking about Leslie Jones. That, she was in Ghostbusters. No, not the... Close to being a black guy, <laughs> but uh, the the, or the OG Ghostbusters. It was Bill Murray, Harold Ramis, Dan Aykroyd, and... Oh, his, his name is right on the tip of my tongue. I've met him. He's an awesome dude. Ernie Hudson. Ernie Hudson. There it is. Great guy, Ernie Hudson. So, it's like killing Ernie Hudson, Bill Murray, Harold Ramis... And Dan Aykroyd and then trying to make a getaway quietly in a in, in the in the Ghostbusters mobile. In the Ecto one.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Nothing to see here. <laughs> so they drop off Teresa Hudgens and Joey Wells, and then uh Tony West and Avery Brock inform their parents, their family, that they're gonna make a getaway to Florida. They they let them know, hey, they killed they killed those two, they're gonna make a getaway to Florida. That wasn't really the plan, though, where they were making a getaway to Mexico, so they threw the old, look at this hand while I do this hand trick. So in case the cops, Mm -hmm. you know, they're looking in the wrong place. Okay, so on December 15th, 1982, a few days after the murder now, they've been on the road. They stopped at an I-20 rest stop six miles from Vicksburg, Mississippi, where they stole a car from Navy Lieutenant and off-duty Highway Patrol Officer Kirby Key Phelps. Now, they had pulled in there to sleep for the night, Kirby Phelps had been sleeping there beside them in a vehicle. They had noticed him, but they wake up to the mor- in the morning. They look at their vehicle, and they're like, we don't need to be trying to make a getaway to Mexico in the Ecto-1. <laughs> they look over. This, this guy is alone, and he's sleeping in his vehicle. They don't know he's a badass. It ends up not mattering because even if you're a badass, if the two guys have guns, then it doesn't matter. But uh, they, they jolt him awake. They wake him to a gun. and He wakes to a gun in his face. They march him out to the woods. While Tony West has Kirby Phelps out in the woods behind the rest stop, uh, Avery is, is going through his vehicle, and or transferring the things from their vehicle and going through Kirby Phelps' vehicle. Tony West just shoots him in the head, kills him right there on the spot in the woods, and then they make a getaway in Kirby's vehicle. Kirby was traveling from Jacksonville, Florida, to San Francisco, California. Um, he had been reassigned. And, uh, he was planning on stopping in Oklahoma City to visit his mother, visit his mother for Christmas. Man, it's terrible. Jeez. So these guys may have had a, may have had a chance, you know, in, in some backwards place like Georgia, uh, killing two Satanist gay guys. Maybe, maybe. But you just killed a veteran and a cop? Forget about it. It's over. It's over. That's it. That's it. Yeah. They're like, I don't know about that rainbow flag, but we do rock a thin blue line around here. So I guess. OK, so what you're saying is they, they might have gotten away with it in
0: front of a jury of Georgian peers circa 1982. Yes. Yes. In it. OK. Yes, okay.
1: Yeah. Yes. Uh, and it turns out that even then they wouldn't have gotten away with it because turns out Georgia is nowhere near as homophobic and anti-anything Christian as uh, a lot of podcasts try to make them sound with this. And, and and we'll go into why here in a little bit. Okay. Yep. So on the 16th of December, Dr. Scudder and Joey Odom's friend, Raymond Williams, goes out to the Corpuswood Manor. Now, this is four days after the murder, so they've been rotten for four days. It's not a pretty sight, but he goes out there to let them know that a mutual friend of theirs, a guy named Ray Hood, who was in Rome, had passed away on the 14th in Rome. Uh, When he gets to the door to knock, he notices bullet holes in the door. And he goes, I'm out of here, bro. He probably sees a harp in the driveway also. And he doesn't even go in. He just goes down the mountain and calls the sheriff's office. On that very same day. You know
0: what's interesting about that? What's that? Is that Scudder and Odom had already met up with Ray Hood before he, he even got there. Before Raymond Williams even got through the house. Yeah, he
1: probably knew about his passing before before Raymond Williams did.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: They're like, you, you're here too, you're here too. And then that chick from the Cecil Hotel that landed on the dude, she's standing in the corner, her asshole is huge <laughs> still. <laughs> her asshole's been huge for 25 years at this point, because this is the 80s, they're having the 60s. Igor Dialov's <laughs> still standing over there, like, counting on his fingers, trying to figure out what the fuck happened. How did I get up here? So uh on the same day that that Raymond Williams discovers the the horrific scene there at Coursewood Manor, Teresa Hudgens comes forward to the police and and lets them know exactly in detail what happened, and a nationwide manhunt soon begins. I wonder if she also let them know that she also experienced on that day the worst first date that she's ever had in her life.
0: I'm surprised. Well, I'm not surprised that she went to the police, but what a what a Uh, PTSD moment, you know? Like, I gotta give it to her for kind of, you know, collecting her thoughts and going.
1: Yeah, yeah. And you know that probably 15, 20 years later, she was having like a a brunch date with one of her girlfriends, and they were like just joking around, and her girlfriend was like, I went on the worst first date last night. He made me pay for my food. (laughs) And Teresa's like, yeah, but did he take you out for a double murder? And a homicide? (laughs) And she's like, no. And at that point... (laughs) That point, a harp starts playing behind them in the brunch room, and she
0: just flips it, just completely flips out.
1: I'm out of here. Oh, that that reminds me. I'm glad you brought that up. Something something I forgot to bring up. Uh So when Tony West and. A- uh, Avery were scavenging the house. And they accidentally knocked over a recorder that actually Dr. Scudder had been recording on earlier that day. He was recording a gift, a birthday gift for a friend, and it was him reciting the the poem, Tony Blake's The Tiger, and playing the harp at the same time. And they actually didn't turned it on, wow. and out of nowhere, the, just this booming harp music, and Dr. Scudder's voice just starts vibrating the house. Can you imagine what they thought? Like, oh, we've done done it. We have woken the
2: devil.
0: Could you imagine once again being Teresa Hudgens at that moment? Like how surreal this just got. I mean, you just witnessed like double murders, stuff like that. Dead, you know, dead pets, and then this voice and every man.
1: I don't know how you walk away from that. I just wanted a burrito. I don't know why we're here. I thought
0: (laughs) I just came here to huff some paint and look at this
1: mess. Are we getting French fries after we leave here? Because I'll be honest, I'm not. I have been on better dates. I'm not going to. I don't mean to sound like a prude, but so it's around this time. Teresa Hudgens comes forward and the nationwide manhunt starts for Avery and Tony that they're in Austin, Texas. And after they had been arguing a lot. And actually, if you read into it, they kind of went had a lot of shenanigans on their cross country trip to trip to Mexico. They they met friends with a homeless man and had him ride along with them for a little bit. And they got in a bar fight. Because they're still going to bars and stuff. And and it's kind of like a buddy movie going across like Chris Farley and David (laughs) Spade movie where the, you know. Yeah.
0: I was thinking more like uh, the natural born killers. Yeah. Feels a little more
1: natural born killers. Yeah. You're probably closer to to accurate than I was (laughs) there. Yeah. (laughs) So, but they get into a big argument in Austin, Texas. And they tell each other to fuck off. And it's at this point, they split up. Brock heads back to Georgia uh, to turn himself in, and he does exactly that on the 20th of December. He goes back to Georgia and turns himself in to the police. Not long afterwards, uh, on Christmas Eve, actually, in Chattanooga, Tennessee, at a gas station, Tony West turns himself in after harassing a police officer who was just trying to buy a cup of coffee. He was literally trying to purchase a cup of coffee, and Tony West is like, all right, you got me. Because he's paranoid. He thinks the cop's there. He's like, you got me. You got me. I'm here. And the cop's like, I don't know what your deal is, sir, but uh, I just want to buy this coffee. (laughs) I'm trying to go home. He's probably at the end of his shift. And Tony West is like, no, I'm the murderer. I killed him. I killed both of them. Killed both of them. Then we killed that other man. And the cop's like, please go away. I just want this caffeinated coffee. And I want to see my children. Nope, nope, put the handcuffs on. I know what you're doing. I know what you're doing. That one feller I killed. That This is your responsibility as a lawman of Chattooga County. <laughs> and uh, that's
0: at the, that point, the officer says, uh, You're in Chattanooga,
1: Tennessee, not Chattooga, oh. Georgia. Oh, I am embarrassed. I am embarrassed. <laughs> this is more embarrassing than driving around in that Ecto 1. <laughs> So, uh, then he's probably like, Tony's probably like, I, we also killed that veteran. And the cop's like, <laughs> the cop's like, sorry, turn around, put your fucking hands behind your back. Oh. So finally, after Jeez. basically begging, this cop's like, all right, I'll run you. So he runs him and he comes back for double homicide, wanted for double homicides. The cop's like, oh, we got a real big fish here. So they arrest him and his stupid ass is also hauled back to Georgia. So I'm not going to go into a lot of depth about the trials here. It's never fun. To go over all that stuff in podcast form, everybody's going to be falling asleep. But long story short, the defense was kind of banking on hopefully the the jurors being a bunch of inbred, closed-minded conservatives, really. And uh, not all conservatives are like that at all. And also, uh, fun fact, not all Georgians are inbred. And after just two hours, Tony West was found guilty. And sentenced to death. Meanwhile, Avery Brock he he pleads guilty and was sentenced to three life terms. Now, later on, West would get a retrial, and uh, that would result in his guilt being reaffirmed. And during his second trial, he was sentenced to three consecutive life sentences. So they both got three consecutive life sentences. Uh, and it turns out, Avery Brock and Tony West remain in Georgia prisons to this day for the murders, and have been denied parole multiple times. They are. Not getting out anytime soon. They will both die in prison. Uh, Dr. Scudder's ashes were taken back to Wisconsin by his sister, Janet Scudder Arnold. And they were buried there in the family plot on the 25th of April, 1983. And uh, that's pretty much it. On January 5th, 1983, the chicken house suffered a fire and was burnt down. And that was the end of the pink room, the porn room, and the pecker room, which was the chicken coop. So you can still visit... Corpus Wood Manor or what are its remnants, what is left of it. Um there's a lot of vandals that have went up there unfortunately, and uh not much of the structure is left standing. There's a few walls. The the outhouse and the and the water pump house are are still there, still standing. And uh so it's still it still has a it still has a its ghost is still there on the earth. You can still go go to the place and 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 be there to this day. And that brings an end to this really kind of fun, uh, funny, kind of free spirited story that ends in a horrific bloodshed. Up oh, that—that's the end. The end.
0: Wow, it's crazy. You know, I'm—I'm I'm glad. I'm—I'm I'm actually kind of glad we're doing this one because it does shed some light on a lot of things that I think. You know, there's misconceptions about, um, uh, I, I, I mean, honestly, how many people do you think there really are out there that know of the name, the church of Satan, but have no idea what it believes or more, maybe more importantly, what it doesn't believe, you know, uh, I, I'm always interested by this kind of thing because sometimes titles are a misnomer and, uh. It, it seems to fit the, this couple, this, these these guys uh, who are living out in the woods, that, that uh, you know, their life was just pretty playful for the most part. And the religious belief, I guess you could say, that they have was also pretty much just playful.
1: Yeah, they're just very, Jerry, just very free, free spirits. Just very free. Yeah, just You do you, you do whatever you want to do to be happy and I'll do what I want to do to be happy. And as long as you're not bothering me and I'm not bothering you, why can't we all just be happy? That's I don't
0: like the approach that they take, but I, I can appreciate the effort that goes into a belief system that, well, not even a belief system as much as, but just the effort that it takes the brain to look at a situation so objectively that you can see how it's, Wrong-headed at any point, and I, you know, uh, whether you think so or not, there, there's a lot of uh, a lot of things that happen on a daily basis that are kind of ingrained in our society that are based on Judeo-Christian values and everything, and for, you know, to have to have a to have a a group that uh, that has practiced. Um, identifying all those things as much it's it's just it's an interesting perspective to see that there's a there's a group out there that that is exercised uh, maybe that's a bad choice because it's the church of satan exercised but they've been able to say oh hey by the way here are all the things that for decades and generations we've been doing that are just weird
2: yeah <laughs> you know
0: <laughs> functionally it doesn't uh, move the needle at all but it's just interesting that uh, it's such a contrast from what you and I would walk down the street and see, yeah, yeah. You know, Ten Commandments statue, and not even think about it, you know, or you know, just just all the all the things that have been kind of ingrained into us, uh, where we don't want or need to see a separation that other people may want to see because they don't believe like we believe. This has
1: been a this has been a, a roller coaster op. This is. Yeah. Had a lot of ups there in the beginning and then one very, very, very low down and then a lot of downs and then we ended on a down. Yeah. And that harp, where's the harp? And the harp is, that's a good question. I don't know where the harp is to this day. I don't, I know a lot of the, a lot of the Scudder stuff was auctioned off and you can still look at, uh, at pictures of some of the artifacts from the Scudder Manor on the internet. Uh, but where the harp ended up is a good question
0: well I am both uh, disturbed and grateful for you ejecting that story all over my earballs
1: like we were camping yep yeah, just like
0: just like we were camping uh well I'd like to say I'm never calling you again but after that but I probably will I'll just probably call you tomorrow okay I'll be here great okay well
1: hugs uh, what what?